Well, <laughs> I keep saying I'm going to put out more content and, uh, you know, I've slowed down. Um, I just, you know, my last episode talks about some stuff I've been going through. Um, I've been on a medication for nine years and I've weaned off of it. And uh, to, <laughs> to say the least, it's been a ride. Um, but I feel some clarity and peace now th that I can't describe. And, you know, th this is just the beginning of what I'm doing. Um, I haven't had anyone promote this. I, I have incredible contacts with incredible people, but I just wanted to get myself ready before I try to, you know, reach as many people as I can. So, you know, in the end, the reason I'm doing this is I just want to help as many people as possible. And <clears throat> this is, uh, as of now, the, the greatest way I can, I can, you know, reach as many people as possible. So, I wanted to do this episode for a while. Um, I, I talk a lot about relationships. I talked about codependency in one of my episodes, You're Not Kind, You're Codependent. And to give you a quick understanding of codependency, typically in codependency there's a fixer and a fixie. Codependency is an addiction. It's an addiction to a person. Um, like any other addiction, and uh, putting too much emphasis on them and numbing yourself through their problems will make your life unmanageable and areas will start to fall apart, right? Well, uh, the, the fixie needs to be enabled. The fixer wants to enable, right? So the, the fixie wants, you know, a lot of times it's an addict and a codependent or, you know, narcissist love codependents too, um, because they, they're constantly fixing them, right? Well, here's the problem with codependency. If I spend all my time trying to fix you, um, I don't have to worry about myself. And so it feels really good. Well, the problem is when I'm just engaged completely with you and it's just this emotional roller coaster because I'm not focusing or dealing with my crap, areas of my life are starting to fall apart. The same with any other addiction, right? Pornography, drugs, whatever. We engage in that so much, and that's all we want to do because it's numbing our problem. And then family life, whatever, stuff fall apart. So, you know, I talk a lot more at length in codependency in that episode if you want to check it out. Um, and then I have a follow-up to it, uh, The Kindest People Set Boundaries. You know, but as far as this, this is the attachment theory. And... Uh, it's not really a theory anymore, but it's went mainstream the last, you know, I think maybe 10 or 15 years. Out of everything I can share with you when it comes to relationships, and specifically romantic relationships, this is the most important. Uh, it, a large part of my viewership, I realize, are single people, and we will all want to find someone. I want to find someone. Understanding how this works has saved me so much pain so much pain. It's also really lessened my options. You know, I took a year and a half off dating and I'm starting to put effort again because God's like, you got you to gotta put in some effort. But understanding these principles and healing opened up so many things for me. So this is the book that talks about this. It's called Attached. You know, you can, I'd recommend reading the book. There is no way I can go over all this in the short amount of time I have. It has real life examples. It has quizzes on to find out what your attachment style is, who you attract, and then it starts to talk about healing. I want to, you know, have one disclaimer with this. If you read this book and you're avoidant, you're probably going to feel sad or depressed because it doesn't seem to give a lot of hope for avoidant attachment. I assure you that's not true. Most all this is, uh, you know, to an extent, I'll talk about it, how we're raised, and then there's trauma and different factors that can push us one way or the other. You can heal from it. And if you're dating someone that suffers from it, you know, if they don't heal from it, you're just constantly going to have your heart broke. So understanding attachment theory, first understand that uh, the root of almost all Mental illness, addiction, uh, personality disorders is an unhealthy attachment with someone, right? Narcissism, histrionic personality disorder, and uh, 
borderline personality disorder. You know, the, the new DSMIV, which, uh, you know, labels these, they just call them cluster B personalities now. But I, I do find it fascinating that, you know, there's differences within them, so I like to distinguish them. But in the end, typically those are based in some sort of abandonment. And so it's an unhealthy attachment at some point in their life with someone that either physically abandoned them or they felt like they weren't there. And so in order for them to feel secure, you have to be the center of attachment. And they'll do it in a variety of ways, making you feel bad, gaslighting you, sex, fighting, whatever. It doesn't matter so much. I'm sure they have preferred methods that feel better, but you need to be the attachment. My point in all this is if, you know, unhealthy attachments or, or you know, in plainer language, unhealthy uh, relationships or interactions with human beings can cause such devastating results, there's hope here because the opposite holds true. The greatest agent of change is human relationships. There's only one that's greater than that, and it's the relationship with God, our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. But along with that, we heal together. And so, you know, it, it's interesting with this book because I, I wanted to read this again before I did it. And I'd read it before and I understood a lot. Well, I understood a lot more reading the second time. And I want to, you know, make sure I give you some accurate information here. But it talks about this idea that we are good alone, right? Like, I don't need anyone. I'm sufficient. You know, I want you to be in my life, but I'll be okay without you. And, uh, you know, and then people are taking boundaries and, and severing special relationships in the name of boundaries. I understand it, and I set very firm boundaries with the people in my life, but it doesn't mean the moment I don't like them, the boundary is to cut them off. The boundary is just saying, hey, whatever that, you know, whatever that behavior is, it doesn't work with me. I believe relationships work a lot like described in the Doctrine and Covenants, which is a record, you know, within the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, where literally Jesus Christ is speaking. And he says, one teaches by the Spirit and one receives. Both are edified and rejoice together. Well, if we take that same principle in our relationships, they should be mutually beneficial. If we regularly interact, then you should feel good and I should feel good, right? Well, cutting a boundary because you don't feel me good, you don't make me feel good, and just severing the relationship is, is a wall. It's not a boundary, right? And walls keep people from getting in. Boundaries protect us. And so if someone does something, you know, I typically will say, hey, that doesn't work with me, okay? And no, no offense, no harm. I'm not, I won't be upset if you choose not to be in my life. Well, sometimes I will if I want you to, but even so, I'm not going to hold it personal necessarily, but this is how people treat me. This is the way that, you know, we teach people how to treat us. And so for us to regularly interact, this is what I, what I demand. Now, if the person is not there, I'm saying, okay, no harm, no foul. But that's probably our end of the line, especially as far as an intimate, you know, close relationship. That's just a boundary. When I started learning about codependency and boundaries, it was very tough. So I went through a sifting process. You know, starting this thing has shifted my reality in so many ways. I meet people now and they already know who I am. And uh, my daughter can't stand it when people, you know, talk to me and it's okay. <laughs> you can, but it, it's a fascinating situation to know people know a lot about my life and not only that but as I share this content my life kind of plays out in real time well there's exciting and not exciting parts about that but you know it doesn't matter to me honestly number one God has asked me to do this and so that's the end of story and two it has been very therapeutic for me it's helped me grow up and for you people that have supported me for the messages they mean everything to me. They mean everything to me. And I will not give up on this. I will keep until my last breath trying to share things that will help you. I'll never adequately be able to convey how my Savior saved my life, but I'll spend the rest of my life trying. 
So when we, when we talk about the attachment theory, there's three points to it. But before I talk about that, I want to talk about a little thing that happened, which is debunking that theory that we don't need people. I don't think God was lying when he said, it is not good for man to be alone. <laughs> when I'm alone, I get these ideas. And the longer I'm alone, they get worse. And they seem like really good ideas, but they typically don't end up being that good of ideas. <laughs> so they did, a, they did a study, right? And uh, they had these women, and they were going to give them electric shock. The women knew it was coming, so they, they, they checked the heart rate and everything else, right? And it was elevated. The next time, they knew they were going to get the shock, but they held the stranger's hand. When they held the hand, the, the, their stress response was, uh, was minimized quite a bit, right? The next time, they got to hold their husband's hand, who they love, and it was minimized a lot, well, obviously, when the electric shock or trauma comes in our life, if we feel secure in the greatest relationship, we're going to fly. There is nothing wrong with healthy dependability. We all need it. But Satan has really struck a chord in this whole idea of being self-sufficient, not needing anyone to rob us of the most fulfilling relationships, I believe, along with children and parents in this life, which is finding someone to love. We all have that desire to be loved no matter what. And, you know, I, I'm just starting to get back into the dating world and just starting to go out there and, you know, I'll go through it all to find that person. Because when we feel secure that we're loved no matter what, when that basic need is fulfilled, we can give so much more emphasis to our work pursuits, to our ambitions, to you know our relationships or whatever. But as long as that's lacking for you that have that lacking, whether you're in a relationship that lacks it or you're missing someone, there's always a part that is not completely whole. Now, understanding the principle, I, I'm okay without you, but I want you in my life. Yeah, my life's not falling apart anymore. My life's wonderful. It's beautiful. But with the right person, it would be so much better. And, you know, I, I have people all the time that will talk to me and be like, Kate, I think you're, you're scared right, of dating. I assure you that's not it. I just understand what I want. And I don't want to waste my time or anyone else's time if they don't want a relationship or if they're not what I'm looking for. And to a degree, I understand what I'm looking for. This is, this is all I want. You know, when we hit with the whirlwinds of life and the storms and everything, and I come home and I'm just, you know, scared and freaking out, to have a woman say, hey, I love you. God is real. And we're going to be okay. Everything will be okay. And so getting myself to a place now where I can love like that and, off, and offer that has, has been tough. But I'm there. And I'm looking for her. And that's a big part of my focus now. Well... Understanding this, then they also checked people that were in happy relationships, and they they were less prone to get all types of diseases. Well, part of the disease model is stress, which causes our body to not work well, and so you know we're more vulnerable. We're not absorbing our nutrients and all that. You know, I talk about that, um, how healing my brain healed, how healing my stomach healed my mind in that episode. More about the science there, but having someone there literally. Not only spiritually and emotionally, it protects us physically. So with this attachment theory, uh, I shouldn't call it a theory. With attachment, there's three types, and they're wildly misunderstood. Like I said, I read through this, and there were a lot of misconceptions I had. So I'll talk about them specifically, um, and then I want to talk about how you can see them in people, and then I want to talk about ways to heal. If you read this book, and I recommend you do, it's got a quiz where you can find out what you are and everything. If you're avoidant, don't get disheartened because you can heal. If you're anxious, you can heal. I was anxious. I healed. Anyone can heal. And most of it is, a, a large portion is how you're raised, and then also it's trauma. 
if we heal trauma, our brain doesn't create unnecessary coping mechanisms when they shouldn't be there, and we're free to love people and have relationships. So the first is the anxious attachment. So they did, uh, they, they tested these mothers back in the day, right? And uh, they had a baby that was alone, and the mother would leave, and then she would come back. Well, the, and you need to read this to, to check for sure, but the secure baby, the person that was secure, they, you know, kind of missed mom when she was gone. Eventually they might acclimate a little bit. When mom came back, they, uh, you know, they gave her a hug and eventually they calmed down and were fine, right? The anxious attachment was inconsolable, that baby. And uh, even when mom came, they were just frustrated, mad, and upset at mom, and it took a long time for them to calm down. The avoidant attachment baby didn't affect them too much. You know, they, they were fine either way. So a lot of this has to do with parenting styles, you know, and the idea that conditioning newborns, which, you know, a lot of good, good intentioned parents have done without understanding the effects of it. But when your baby's crying in the crib, and you're like, I want to teach my baby not to cry. I'm not going to reward that behavior and go check on them. That's one of the seeds for early avoidant attachment. And so the baby starts to not feel dependent upon others, right? The anxious baby is way too uh, caudal protected. It is always needing that help, like I talked about in, in that situation. So there's anxious, secure, and avoidant. I was anxious for a long time, and I can sift into anxious attachment if I forget my divine worth and promises and that God's running the show. I could start to fixate on, uh, you know, details, and it, it can rob me of my peace, right? But with an anxious attachment, you, you constantly need reassurance to feel secure in the relationship. When I've been going through this uh, hell of the past month or so with, with coming off this, this stuff, I, uh, I watched the second season of Love Island. <laughs> and it, it, it's fascinating to watch it uh, with my understanding of personalities, personality disorders, codependency, and anxious avoidant attachment because I'm watching these people desperately try to connect. There's this couple... Uh, Jeez, I can't think of their name at the moment. But this, this girl with severe anxious attachment, right? And I don't, I don't think the guy is necessarily avoidant, but he cannot reassure her enough, right? So anything potentially negative he does, it threatens her. And she's triggered, right, because of betrayal or different things like that. And so he, he's frustrated and... She, she's kind of trying to control the relationship, and he seems like it's controlling. And at one point, he's like, look, this controlling behavior isn't going to work. And she literally is like, I'm not trying to control anything. Well, she's just reacting because her trauma really doesn't have too much to do with his actions. They're with past experience, right? And so when she sees similar actions in him, her alarm goes off, and she's like, man... He's, he's leaving me, right? And so she starts to pull him quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I didn't even finish the thing. But he starts to sift a little bit because it becomes a little controlling, right? And it's not very attractive. So when I, when I took the uh, five love languages test, you know, years ago, my, my number one by far and away was words of affirmation. Um, and not saying that's a bad primary love language, but I needed to be affirmed all the time. I just, I had no security and, and I had no self-worth. Well, I realized that was very exhausting for women to be in relationships with me when, you know, I would see the very smallest thing and my brain would compute that that meant the worst thing. And a lot of the time, it didn't mean that at all. In the book, it has a funny example where, you know, a guy is uh, busy at work. And uh, he's, the anxious girl calls him. And he doesn't answer. I think she texts or leave a message. And he doesn't respond, right? It's been a couple hours. She's like, at first she's making excuses. Maybe it's this or this. And then she starts to like worry and freak out, you know what I mean? And uh, eventually she gets frustrated, and so she texts him, and she, she sends just a harsh, harsh message, right? Well, he's been meetings all day. <laughs> so he goes, he sees a missed text, and then a few hours later he sees a brutal text, and he's like, what the crap? 
What, what did I do? I, I couldn't answer the phone, right? Well, in the meantime, this this woman that has anxious attachment is rethinking it, and she's like, I I, <laughs> I made too big of a deal here. I'm going to calm down. So he calls her Brayson for you know whatever he did, and she's like, Hey, I'll see you at five. <laughs> and he's like, What the? <laughs> so understanding that, let's talk about the avoidant attachment. So an avoidant attachment is the opposite of anxious attachment. Okay, so if we're dating in a situation, say, uh, you know, I'm anxious attachment. If I meet someone that's avoided attachment, typically there can be a very strong connection and pull if, if you like other stuff about them, right? But with an avoidant person, they typically have a threshold of where they're going to go in terms of intimacy with a certain person. And as long as you abide in that area, then uh, the relationship's fine. Well, the problem is most of us want to find someone and be with someone forever, right? And so what will happen in an avoidance person's mind, right? Because part of it is that parenting style, and then there's a lot of trauma. So understanding the framework for trauma when something happens to us, and I use this example all the time, but it's it's the best one. You know, say we're abandoned at four years old, right? And your dad leaves you. Well, the four-year-old is going to believe dad left me because I'm unlovable. Well, as you start to get older and start to uh, learn about relationships, life and stuff, and maybe dad's circumstances, you start to think maybe it wasn't that. Maybe dad was unhappy. Maybe he lost a job, whatever it was, right? But the problem is, if you have a situation that mirrors dad leaving, or if you even see some of your attitude that mimics that, you will go into post-traumatic stress. And if you haven't processed it, you're that four-year-old again. And you're dealing with that relationship in terms of that four-year-old's mind, I'm unlovable. So the brain is going to create coping mechanisms that it thinks are protecting you for situations you need no protecting. That devastated you when dad left and all of a sudden a situation or a person is reminding you of that your brain's going to say don't let them in because they'll hurt you and in essence that's what we do you know the problem with a lot of therapy is once you're triggered there's not a lot of therapeutic value you know one of the great ways to do it is called inner child trauma and it's, it's something that you know I've, I've learned and studied and God's helped me to understand and I've, I've put into practice with people I've worked with but when someone's traumatized and they're that four-year-old good luck trying to help them <laughs> when someone's stressed and you're say, you say calm down yeah go, <laughs> go try that you know it, it, it just doesn't work right but if you can delve into your past and just ask questions whether the person's not quite traumatized. Maybe it had nothing to do with you. Maybe dad was addicted to drugs or was unhappy with the marriage or something else happened and start to ask questions. Well, the brain eventually, when it sees another situation that mirrors that situation, you'll realize that this person is not my father. And regardless of the reason he left, it's, it's not because I'm unlovable. And all of a sudden the brain doesn't create these issues uh, thinking that you're unsafe and, and helping you to find things that are wrong so you lose attraction. You're free to actually love someone. But if you're avoiding attachment, let's say my avoidance is I really like this person, but I just can't go public that we're, you know, exclusive. <laughs> who's, who's not been in that one? <laughs> no more for me. But... You know, and, and an avoidant person will say it's no one's business, this this or that. Well, you know, an anxious person, if you hear that long enough, it's it becomes kind of an issue, right? And so you're anxious, and let's say you've pushed that avoidant person for a, a public label. You know, for me, I don't care about it other than it just shows the person where they're, where, you know, it shows me where they're at, and it gives us a, a framework and a certain level of, you know, comfortableness that we're on the same page right but let's say that uh you tried and there was major pushback and the person maybe tried to break up and so then you live in this anxious situation and you can hang out you know you you do whatever you connect however right and it feels really good but there's this part of you that's dying inside because you want to be with this person but I see this with people all the time. And they get stuck in this situation 
of putting their own feelings aside because they don't want to completely sever the relationship. So I'm anxious and uh, I can't take it anymore, right? I, I want to date just you. I don't want to ask what you're doing on Thursday. You tell me you're busy. I know what that means. That means you've got another date. And so I, I push a little bit. Well, an avoidant person, what the brain does, and again, it thinks it's protecting you from situations, right? So, uh, you know, reading this book and also talking with people in real time that are avoidant, the brain will come up with different situations or reasons why you're not interested, and they'll feel like the reason. You know, you'll feel like uh, you're not attracted anymore. They're not sexually attractive. You don't like their personality. You don't like their kids. The brain is coming up with all these reasons why you won't work because it's trying to protect you because it's thinking that this situation will hurt you as much as the other situations. And, you know, it's scary when you meet someone who can hurt you. It's scary. I have that effect with people, or women, when they get to know me, and I realize what's happening because I'm the real deal. I'm going to treat you good. I'm not going to be a puppy dog, but the brain says, this person can really hurt me. This person can hurt me. So, you know, let's just uh, let's push them away, right? And so in the avoidant person's mind, they're going to come up with all these situations why they're not interested. And it becomes very confusing for the anxious person. Well, I thought, they, I, thought I wasn't good looking enough. <laughs> I thought I wasn't rich enough. I thought I wasn't this. You don't know what you want, right? And so finally, the person will pull away. Well, this isn't going to go anywhere. And sometimes it's brutal. And you become addicted to people. Trust me. And so when you pull away to someone you're addicted to, you go through physical withdrawals. Because what's really happening here? These relationships that are marked by highs and lows of extreme intensity are brutally painful and they're addictive. They rush our brain with dopamine. When we reunite and everything's good and then we break up, we're just zapped from everything. Our brain is doing the very same thing. And we have all the pitfalls, all the emotions because we don't feel safe in that relationship, there's no formation of oxytocin, which allows us to pair bond, whether romantically or just in general. And it becomes very painful. But we become addicted to the person. And so, you know, I'm, I'm anxious. The person clearly is not going to go there. I break up with them. And I'm going through these withdrawals, and I'm painful, and I want to reach out to someone else and numb the pain, which we do. Uh, and the avoidant person all of a sudden sees, man, I miss them. Well, if they're truly avoidant, it's different. Because I know a lot of people that are like, anxious people can make me avoidant. That doesn't make you avoidant when someone's new needy or too pressuring. It just means you're not interested. Or the way that they're acting that moment, you're not interested in. But with an avoidant person, when you pull away from them, when there's no more stress or expectation, they'll come back for you. And they, they're sincere in what they mean if they don't fully understand this. And, uh, you know, say it's, I, uh, you know, okay, we can, we, can, we can be Facebook official or whatever it is. We can hold hands in public. Well, if you're, if you're in love with the person, that is like everything. They're finally getting it, right? Oh, and so you let them back in, right? And uh, the problem is, if they're avoidant and they haven't worked on themselves and processed this stuff, when they hit that level or threshold of intimacy, the pushback will be even worse. And they'll pull away. And it will destroy you. And you may go through the same pattern. You'll reach out to them for a bit. Their brain will be like, I don't like him because of this and this. They'll pull further away and then you'll break. And uh, you'll start to try and heal. And then they'll come back and make another promise. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> well, it's brutally, brutally painful. It's brutally painful. So for a long time, I was quite anxious attachment, right? I, I went to the Huntington Beach Mid-Singles Conference last year, and I have guys ask me all the time about situations with women. And, you know, I understand quite a bit. And... Uh, <laughs> They're wondering, did I say things too quick or, you know, did I come on too strong or whatever? And I'm like, maybe. 
And don't get me wrong, God wants us to get better at these things. He wants us to understand. Sometime I'll do a lesson on validating women. It's extremely simple. <laughs> you know, we, uh, if I have a problem and I call you, I want to know how not to suffer and how to fix the problem. That's all I care about, right? And so when my buddies call me and they have a problem, if I say, hey, yeah, I, I, I would feel that way too. I'm like, oh, that's great. I don't care. I'm in pain. Help me feel better, right? Well, women are very different. They already know what to do. But in a woman's mind, it's a constant question of, am I overreacting? Are these emotions valid or are they not? So when a girl comes to you and has these problems, you're like, she's in pain. I need to fix the pain. This is the solution. And even if it's glaring and open, she's like, you don't understand. I'm like, you don't understand. And then we say, maybe the worst thing you can say to a woman is you're crazy. And we invalidate that emotion. And then they're left to constantly question how they feel. Well, it's really simple. You have to be authentic. But if a woman struggles or has an issue with most all women, I usually would feel the same way. I feel the same way you feel. And you can see, think you, you do, yes. What are you going to do about it? Well, they, they, women usually know what to do. How did you come up with that? They start processing in their minds how they came up with it. <laughs> I usually end with, well, it sounds like you know what to do, but I'm always here to listen. <laughs> That's crazy to me. It works because we don't think that way. I was talking about this on a boat one time with a girl. She's like, you, you mean men don't know that? <laughs> no, we, we don't know that. And it takes practice and it takes work, especially if we're charged with someone. You know, it's much harder with people that we care about and that we're charged with because, again, it's just fix the issue. Well, I digress a little bit, but that's a side note that, that I've learned. And you know what? It's made my relationships with women very rich. You know, and it's just helped me deal with situations with my ex-wife or my daughter or, or whoever there, right? But these guys would come up and, you know, they're saying, did I do this or didn't do this? I'm like, yeah, but let me ask you a question. Do you think that because you said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing or acted the wrong way, you have the power to change something that's so internally important as your eternal companion just because of that? I don't believe that. Even if I did something crazy and slept with someone or, or whatever, I still don't believe it has the power to change my destiny. If it did, then what's the purpose of repentance? Or once you made a mistake, you're done. I believe by you know sinning, we can delay what's ours and we can cause ourselves you know additional suffering. But in the end, I'm like just because you said or did the different thing, I don't know that it will matter with the right one. I still think you need to learn these things. Me understanding how to validate has made me very good at dealing with these situations, and I don't fight. But the right situation is just going to work out. God has seen fit to bless me some incredible insurances. He's told me a lot about, through blessings and inspiration, to an extent, where this venture is headed. And it's scary. And there's a lot of warnings I've had, a ton, with you know not getting caught up with, with women or ambitions or money. Um, but there's a lot of promises as well. And it's, it's a surreal feeling to slowly feel your anonymity fade. And it's even tougher when, uh, you know, my, my life is playing out in real time, right? And people see this and... Women see this, and, and you know, the right woman for me, obviously we would have a uh, understanding with, with my channel and how it goes into our relationship, but she would have to be okay with this type of lifestyle and where it's headed. But she will. She will, right? And so when I start to get anxious, and it still happens, it's typically because I've forgotten who I am, I've forgotten the promises God's made, I've forgotten He's real, and then I start to fixate on my inadequacies. 
If your worth is based on what you look like, you'll only be as happy as your greatest physical insecurity. If your worth is based on how much money you make, you're always going to feel like you don't have enough money. If it's how much powerful you are, you're always going to feel weak. When I get into that state, where I start to feel in anxious attachment or insecure, and I start to overanalyze everything, I remind myself something. Hey, I just have to try and be willing to follow my Heavenly Father. Every morning I wake up and say, help me to know where to go, who to talk to, and what to say. And you know, for the most part, I just live my life. But if He asks me to do something, I do it. And when I do, I, I experience this peace. And I don't get stressed by situations. You know, I understand that I have a gift for bringing out your trauma. I've gotten way better at the way I come off with people and what I say. And I'm very careful to not intentionally trigger people, but I am a very triggering, polarizing person in general. If, you, if you're codependent, I will just rip your, just bring your trauma out into full front because if you're trying to establish a relationship or a connection with me and you can't fix me, if you're in a place that's less healthy than me, you're going to start feeling all these emotions about yourself. And you may think you're absorbing my, you know, energy or whatever. Well, I'm, I'm bringing your trauma out. And so then, you, you know, you'll go to a relationship where you can numb yourself, which is codependency and all their troubles, and then you feel comfortable with it. Well, when I get anxious, I remind myself, I can't mess up the right thing. I don't have that power. I can delay it, but I don't want to delay it anymore, you know. And it brings me into a place of secure attachment. Now, if someone doesn't like me or isn't interested or whatever, it's rarely about me. But it's because of their trauma and their experiences, how they perceive me or what I've said. And so I don't really personalize it anymore. People's reactions are just their reactions. You know, I get crazy broad spectrum of reactions with this channel and for a long time I was really affected by the ones I didn't like. I was affected when a, a episode didn't catch, I was affected when a person said something I didn't like and I have an understanding with God. Every time I do this help me to know what to say and people's reactions are just their business, right? This idea that uh, I don't care what people think. I don't think that's possible. We care. I care what you think, but it doesn't matter. Your reactions are just going to be what they're meant to be. And so if a woman's not interested, I'm no longer going to trace it to my biggest insecurity. I had a deafening fear of rejection. And it all started when I was in seventh grade and I got freckles and all of a sudden the girls didn't want to date me. And I've talked about this, but, you know, I wouldn't try something unless I was certain the person was interested. Well, that probably saved me from a lot of sticky situations. Um, but now, you know, I, I understand that uh, it's not all personal, right? I, I'm not offended if people don't like me because the right situation will. So I'm not going to fixate on your reactions or different things. And I understand uh, relationships and behavior very well. And I understand pretty quickly if this situation, as far as a romantic connection, has some hope or not. And, you know, you can view that like you want to give up. Because the, the reality is most people... Um, in this, in our dating scene, are avoidant. That's why, that's why they're not uh, in a relationship because their trauma is so pronounced they literally can't commit, right? And uh, you know, I, I start looking at all these avenues. I'm like, there's no way on earth that uh, you know this can work out. But then I remember, hey, <laughs> there's a God in heaven, and I've shared this quote before from C.S. Lewis, but I, I love this quote. A woman's heart should be so close to God that a man should have to chase him to find her. I chase God. 
I work on myself. I'm not worrying about, I've got to find the right one. I have to be the right one. And then the right one in the right situation will find me. And when I'm in this peaceful state of will submission, and I'm like, God, your will, not mine, I have this peace and this assurance. And I'm like, I don't care what the statistics are. I don't care that it's so freaking hard to find someone that you like that likes you back. You know, I don't, I don't care how am I going to meet someone this or this way. I just try when I can, and I just know it's going to work out, right? But if we've been in this push and pull, it's heartbreaking. There's no way I can cover all this information in just this episode, so I'd recommend getting the book. <laughs> and like I said, you can take the quiz and you can find out what you are but I will not get caught up in another anxious, avoidant relationship again. And I can tell pretty quickly if someone's avoidant or if someone's anxious. I can deal with anxiousness to a degree because I know how to validate. And uh, not only that, but I know how to help someone feel secure. As long as they're not too anxious, I can. If someone's co completely traumatized, it doesn't matter how faithful, how good you are, they will perceive any action is a sign of, you know, disloyalty or infidelity or different things and uh, you know like that example on Love Island that poor guy she wasn't trying to be uh, you know controlling or anything else she was just getting triggered and traumatized all the time so if she wanted to be with him she would have to step back and find out all of these things and go through this process of healing like I said for me getting out of anxious um, into secure attachment is living in a way that I feel God's peace, that my will submitted to Him, and that the right one is going to work out, and that's all that matters. I recently got on dating apps. <laughs> I haven't been on for four years, and it's interesting, right? So I, I got on Mutual, I got on Bumble, and I got on Hinge. I even paid for the extra subscriptions, and... Uh, I was going through some withdrawals from this medication too, and I just did not feel good. Well, initially I got, uh, you know, a I think I got 50-something likes on one of them, and way less on Hinge, and, you know, 10 or 12 on Bumble, right? And I paid for the subscription <laughs> so I could see who they were, and there was, there was no one I was interested in, right? And so I uh, didn't match. Well, it's been almost two weeks, and I've got zero, <laughs> zero swipes, or, or maybe one here or there. And so I'm thinking about this, and I'm not feeling good, and all of a sudden my insecurities kick in. And I'm like, man. You know, and, and granted, my, my profiles, I'm very honest about where I am. It's funny to me, you know, on some of them we have that relationship-ready indicator. And we're like, I can't, I can't say that I'm ready for a relationship. I'll scare people away. And they'll think that I'm, you know, way too interested, way too early. Well... I think a large portion of people want a relationship, but they don't dare put it. I'm ready for a relationship. I don't mind saying it. I'm looking for my wife. I don't mind saying it, right? But they, they, they worry about saying those things. I also, you know, I think in my Hinge profile, it's what's your greatest strength. I shared what my greatest strength was. It's my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I understand on a certain level that, um, you know, this is a, that's going to bring a large portion of women to, to not swipe. You know, especially with this endeavor, but I know a lot of people, and even more people know me. It's, it's weird now on in my interactions with the single world. I have all kinds of reactions, but, you know, some people are like, you're famous. I'm like, well, I'm not famous, but I understand to a degree people are knowing who I am more. And with that, they're knowing my life and everything else, and that's going to turn off a huge portion of people. You get online and you share everything and you share, you have, you're an addict and you share these things. Well, you're going to, you're going to, you know, all these guys are like, well, you're, you're just getting all these women that love it. I'm like, yeah, but I'm probably pushing away a ton of them as well. But the only one that matters is the one. But, you know, my point of this is it started to mess with me. And so I start, you know, Swiping on, on women I normally wouldn't, that I can see just, you know, they're not the same place I am or they don't want the same things. 
and I'm just not getting this stuff and I get in my head and I, I you know I'm getting anxious without having anyone so I, I get on tinder and, man it's the wild west <laughs> no judgment if that's what you're looking for but it certainly looks like a, a hookup site that you know the pictures are way more revealing this and that and I create this profile <laughs> and uh, I don't mention I'm religious and you know my, my, my pictures a little more it's, it's not risque but it just looks a little more wild and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I'm realizing, what am I doing? Did I get on these for validation? Did I get on these to feel attractive? Did I get on these to see all the stuff or I just do I just want to find her? And I shifted and I haven't cared since. My profile is on there. I just want to find her and I don't care how many people do or not because to me, you're all that matter. You know, I, I, I hope you're listening. I can feel you. And I've received some powerful blessings from God. And I've finally gotten myself in a place where I think I'm ready. And when it comes to that, you're all that matters. And my job is to make you always feel like that. And I shifted. And you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I have a lot of people and a lot of friends that want to go do things together. And I don't, I don't mind it, but... I'm not looking to hang out with a bunch of girls because I'm looking for my wife. And that doesn't mean I go with the expectation out every time in order to find her, but I go with the hope. And so I'm not interested in hanging out all the time because it's, it's, you know, it's pulling me away from my mission. My guy friends will go out and hang out and the girls will be like, well, why, doesn't, why wasn't I invited? I'm like, because we're looking <laughs> for her. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what I want to do is is find her, right? And I just I've just gotten this peace lately, you know. And uh, you know, I, I yeah, whatever's coming is just coming. But an avoidant person will start to feel controlled, like that episode or like that example in Love Island, second season. And uh, the avoidant will think it's controlling behavior. And, uh, you know, it's fascinating to me. I, I talked to a guy the other day, and he's, he's in a relationship, and he, he goes country dancing to these things, right? And he's like, Kate, these guys come up and hit on her in front of me. You think that's okay? And I'm like, absolutely not. But why are you bringing her in the first place? Well, I know the reason why he's bringing her. It's for validation from other men. Look who I'm with. He's proud of her. He feels validated, but it comes at a cost. You know, and, and the women will be like, you know, if I have a relationship with someone, you know, and I, I know there are situations where this works. I know instructors that are married and will go dancing and dance with other people, and I think that's the exception, not the rule. But for the most part, I've never seen it be a very good situation right and you know the avoidant person women in general will be like are you not secure no it has nothing to do with me being not secure right no man can make me insecure anymore in my life i'm very confident in who i am but there's an understanding that no one can take from me what's mine no one can but the moment a woman starts to get eyes for someone else if i like her that can make me incredibly insecure right but we, we get put in a situation and, and, you know, these knuckleheads, either boys or girls, they, they think, well, you're at this thing. It's free game. I just want to do this or do that. Well, it creates issues here. When I am, when I like a girl, it doesn't feel good to me to engage in, a, you know, intimate dancing with another person. I only want to do it with her. Now, I'm not saying in the right context or right situation I would be okay with that, 
right? I was dancing with a gal the other day, and she's like, Kate, if you would make eye contact, <laughs> you'd be a way sexier dancer. Well, I understand that. <laughs> I understand the power of making eye contact, too, and it's not that I don't, but I share that level of intimacy with one person. But all of a sudden, you know, we have this situation where people are like, oh, I'm secure, we're going to go there, you do your thing, you do your thing. Well, I've, I've met a lot of married women that go dancing without their spouse, and married men, both, but I don't dance with the men. I may, eventually. Uh, and, and I typically won't dance with them, and, you know, we start talking, and they inevitably feel judged. And I'm like, there's no judgment. I don't care if you're dancing or not. But if I'm in a marriage or a relationship, it's going to have its ebbs and flows. And, you know, when mine was struggling for, you know, different reasons, if I got thrown in a situation where people were making me feel attractive, that would be really dangerous. She doesn't understand me. He doesn't understand me. Uh, they don't love me. I don't feel valued, understood, or heard. And then I, I throw myself in the situation with someone else, and I do feel that way. That feeling is the most addictive feeling on earth. That's how affairs happen. That's how families are destroyed. And I don't care who I offend by saying this. I, my intent isn't to offend. And I, like I said, I do understand there's exceptions. But by and large, if I'm getting sober, I'm not going to go to bars, right? My, my days in the single scene, when I find her, are pretty much done. You know, and I'm not going to say I won't go dancing in the situation again, but I probably will find a dancing venue that's not full of a bunch of single people that feel like they've got free reign with my girlfriend or wife just because she's there with me and I shouldn't bring her there if I don't want her to dance with other people. Granted, you know, we can set that expectation or that boundary with people when we get there, or we can come with an idea that, hey, these are the rules, these are the rules. Again, it's, it's you know, up to us individually, but that's that's the way I operate, right? But, you know, an avoidant person, when you just really want to feel secure and loved, their brain computes it as controlling. Well, you should be secure with this stuff. Well, it, it, I'm just saying, hey, it doesn't work for me, and if you want to engage in that, that's fine, right? But here's, you know, if I'm dating someone and I can start to tell they're avoidant, right, and uh, they pull away when I put a little pressure on and then when I re relieve the pressure, they, they come back and then the pressure comes on, they pull away again, you know, I'm, I'm pretty blunt with them. You need to read this book attached. You're avoidant. Um, we're not going to get anywhere unless you do. And the same goes for anxious as well, right? If I'm constantly triggered and can't feel secure no matter what, there's nothing my partner can do to make me feel secure because it has to do with my trauma. But I'm like, this is how you fix it. If you care about me, if you want this to work, you'll fix it. Well, a lot of people, when they're given that ultimatum, they're like, I'm not ready to be in a relationship at all, especially with a man like you. So I'm just going to you know, go out and date. I'm like, well, that's awesome. So you're not ready. So you're going to go out with guys and tell them you're not ready. And uh, they're going to like you because you say that you don't like them. I certainly understand the uh, psychology there. Or they're going to think, man, I get all the, the, the milk for free without buying the cow. And you're going to hurt people because you're not ready. Well, that's very unattractive to me because I don't use people to numb my pain anymore. The right person, if there's certain behaviors I need to change, if I love them, I will change. And like I said, with any of this, it can happen. I know reformed narcissists. I've seen it happen. I've seen people, good friends of mine, close people to me say, Kate, I'm starting to feel empathy. It's been so hard for me. It's weird. But anyone can change. And when someone cares about you, they will change. 
and I'm not saying they'll change everything, right? We love people where they are, not where we think they can be. That's codependent. But at the same time, if the person's anxious or avoidant and without help, without processing of trauma and stuff, we're never going to get past that. There's no future. I can tell how much you care about me or just the relationship in general or want to be happy based on your actions. And so for me, I would sit back a little bit on things. If I really like the girl, I'm certainly not going to be dating other people, but I'm going to put the, set, the right boundaries in place to help her heal. Uh, physical intimacy is, is very hard to heal with when, when you're going through stuff, right? And so I want to be supportive in there, but I don't mind pushing that stuff back for a little bit if it leads to a lifetime of happiness. You can heal from this stuff. And you know, it's, it's, it's so worth it. I talk with my friends a lot and uh, most of us haven't been out on dates really very much. I'm seeing a few of my buddies find incredibly wonderful relationships. A good friend of mine got married last week. You know, when I was thinking about it, she did it right. She stayed close to God. She did not settle. She held true to her beliefs or standards. And I can see when they got married that both of them are like, wow, it defied everything. I will not settle in what I believe is the greatest decision of my life. In the end, this is about trauma and processing. If you struggle with one of these, the book will help. I recommend getting a therapist that's schooled in the, the you know, the, the psychology of attachment disorder. It's always worth it to heal. Because if not, you can look for these relationships and they'll be there forever. The sad reality is people that haven't been married by the time they're over 40 years old, I don't know a ton of them that get married. I just don't. Uh, a lot of that is avoidant attachment. Some of it is an inability to compromise because you've lived this whole life with just the management of your person and you view it that way and everything revolves around you. Well, that's not going to work very well in a relationship. But the other is avoidant attachment. Why is this relationship not working? I was interested and then this was a red flag and I wasn't interested. Well, if you're avoidant, it's not that because remember, the moment they pull away, you find yourself interested again. It has nothing to do with them or very little. It's your trauma. You can look forward to the rest of your life being in relationships of the push and pull game. The same goes with anxious attachment. You know, this life is too short to be with people that you don't want to be with, and it's too short to spend it alone. Don't get me wrong, God has certainly told me in emphatic fashion that that's not my path, but I have enough faith in Him to understand that if I was meant to be single the rest of this life, I would be the happiest. You know, I look at Sherry Dew, and uh, I believe she's still single. What a woman. <laughs> What a woman listened to her talks and everything. And for the life of me, this is just my opinion, but I bet at some point she just became absolutely, totally fulfilled for, with where she was at with an understanding that, hey, at some point, whether this life or eternity, she's going to get the right man. I don't think she's suffering all the time. And again, I don't know. I certainly can't go in her head, but I see her writings. I see the way she is. You know, my point being... In the end, what God has for me, I know is is the the best for me. But you know, I don't think anyone on their deathbed says I conquested this many women or I had this many loves or this or that. It's worth sitting back and healing, and it's an inside job. I'll go through whatever I have to go through in this life to heal, and I am secure again because of my divine understanding and origin that I am a child of the eternal God. And so are you. And I view people in that light now. I shifted when I was, uh, and it wasn't as fun when I was going through the swipes, I stopped looking at 
physically what these women looked like, and I just was looking at each one. There's a daughter of God. There's a goddess in embryo. There's someone who's always existed, who God loves as much as every other person that ever lived, and is more important than all his other creations combined. And it wasn't as fun swiping when I was viewing that way, but it shifted things for me. It did. I went through such a transformation. You know, when I, I was on a medication called clonopin, which is a benzodiazepine, and uh, I didn't think it was affecting me because I couldn't tell when I took it. And, you know, when I got clean, I talked to my therapist. He's like, there's no reason to get off of it because it's going to be hard to get off of, right? And I talked about in the last episode, but, uh, you know, the idea that uh, to be sober, you can't be on any drugs is, is not good. It's, uh, there are people that need to be medicated with their chemistry. The, the question is, does this make my life unmanageable? Well, I needed that drug as long as I was on it, um, and then I didn't. So I got off it. If you want to hear about my journey, which is still going, I talked about it in uh, my last episode, you know, before this one. I can't, I can't explain to you what happened. I feel so clear and so calm and so unaffected. It's like a completely different reality. I was talking to my therapist Monday, and I'm like, I just feel zero anxiety anymore, and it's almost a problem because there's no you know, push to get things done. He's like, that's scary for you. You've needed anxiety. Otherwise, you become very complacent. And so I'm learning to deal with life where I don't feel this just impending doom that pushes me to get things done. Because I'm like, yeah, I'll get it done. God has me. <laughs> the right situation will just work out. God has me. But it's incredible what's happened to my mind. And all of a sudden, the promises with finding her, I realize God's all given me assurances and, and kind of a step-by-step -step guide and, and stuff to look for. And, you know, I don't know who or when, but I understand enough of it to where I'm not stressed about it. And before I was all worried about it, and now I'm like, why are you worried? Well, he's given me assurances with my vocational and financial stuff. I'm like, why am I worried? He's let me know to a degree and to an extent where, you know, this, this channel podcast is headed. I'm like, why am I worried? I understand now what the Savior meant by the peace which surpasseth understanding. And I am so grateful. I am so grateful for my Heavenly Father and for my Savior. And I'm going throughout my days just thinking, is this, is this real? All my interactions are rich and my mind is so clear. It's worth it to heal. It's worth it. The pain is acute. It feels like it's never going to end. Give me whatever pain, God, I need to go through. Help me to go through it with grace. Help me to learn the lesson as quick as I can so that I don't suffer any more than I need to because I have an understanding that each time I come out of it, my life is so much more rich, so much more fulfilling, my relationships are so much deeper and my gratitude for God and for what His Son did to me knows no bounds. I have a bunch of resources for this channel um, with some incredible contacts with incredible people, but I just haven't felt good enough between the medication and my trauma and my circumstances to do stuff. And I got a very powerful blessing a while back. It said, you'll be healed from head to toe. I can feel it happening. I feel my mind healing. It's like a new reality. I hope you take the time to heal. I hope you don't settle for second best. I hope you don't settle at all.
I don't have unrealistic expectations in what I want in relationships and specifically with a spouse. I have healthy boundaries. And until I find the right situation, I'll never be as good as I can be. I'll never be as effective as I can be. I'll never be as happy as I can be. But I'll be better in this situation than I'll be with someone that's not the right situation because then I'll be worse off in all those areas. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode today. Um, I have all sorts of things to share. I have people coming out of the woodwork that God has put in front of my path with stories that are just absolutely incredible. And I'm so grateful to Him that He's blessed me with this opportunity. I will not mess it up. And it is extremely difficult for a variety of reasons. But it is so worth it. Again, for you guys that have supported this. For the messages I've received from you. Some from people I don't even know. For the encouragement to keep going the people that understand at times the toll it takes. That means everything to me. I hope you feel what I just described. I hope you feel the peace that I feel. I hope you're liberated in large degree from your past and future like I've been. For you that have found that romantic connection, I hope I find that. Well, I will. <laughs> I just hope I hope you find out what's holding you back and I hope you have the strength. I hope you have the understanding how to fix it and I know you I hope you have the strength to do it and that's what I'm trying to do get your life back <laughs>